welcome to the Playground Podcast. It's the final day of the Nuremberg Toy Fair, and it has been quite the exciting time for us. Uh, this is Chris Byrne, and I'm flying solo for this episode because Richard had to fly back early to New York to take care of business. This, of course, is such a busy time of year as everyone's preparing for toy fairs and, and different shows. Uh, it's been a really good show, I think. It's been very informative. There's been a lot of conversations about things like international distribution. A lot of the people who came here looking for distributors found them. We were excited to hear the levels of success of opening new territories for a lot of the companies. And of course, there were all the trends people were talking about. Probably one of the largest is the digital to physical play with things like Minecraft and Roblox and Fortnite leading the way. We really think that's going to continue to be a bit of a... um, a trend as the entertainment ground is shifting underneath all of us. We also think in talking to people that we're going to be seeing some reconfiguring of how licensing is done, how entertainment is structured for kids, and it's going to be a bit of a challenge and a lot of change in the in the year ahead. I think when you consider things like reduced screen time for children, children becoming their own programmers, YouTube, which will still be very impactful even without the uh, advertising to children part of it, streaming services. It's really all about the content, and kids, as we all know, are not really loyal to networks. They're loyal to content and programming. Interestingly, uh, NPD reported that uh, after Game of Thrones ended, one of the largest things searched was how to cancel an HBO subscription. And with Disney+, Plus, after the first season of The Mandalorian continued, People were searching, how do you cancel a Disney Plus subscription? So it really is about the content. We're going to see a whole sea change of stuff as we go into 2020. So buckle your seatbelt on that. We have a couple of conversations to bring you today. First, I sat down with Ian Harkin, who is the CEO of Lottie Dolls, L-O-T-T-I-E. These are dolls that are based on the actual body style of a typical nine-year-old. They're gorgeous dolls. And Ian is a fascinating guy. He literally bet his house on making this doll work. And it's really one of those inspiring stories of believing in your concept and really getting it into market. He's a fascinating guy. I know you'll enjoy hearing from him. And we're also going to be talking to Josh Lorzel, who recently joined Hog Wild. He's talking a little bit about why Spielwaren Messe is so important to his company, especially as it's trying to grow. So sit back and listen to these two great conversations. So I'm with Ian Harkin of Lottie Dolls, and we are in like a very strategic corner here <laughs> in Hall 1, which yeah. is all about dolls and plush animals. How's the show been for you? The show's been great. I mean, I've been in the same location in Hall 1 since 2012, and uh, yeah, I, it's great because people know where we are, the, we meet our, all of our distributors here, so that's the main purpose of me attending the show. And you said Lottie Dolls have been around since? Since 2012, yeah. We launched in August 2012, and we uh, went straight into the U.S. market. Uh, We started shipping it actually ourselves from the U.K. Uh, I was based in the U.K. initially. I then moved our business to Ireland, but we were shipping from the U.K. into the U.S. direct to retailers, and then we appointed our distributor, Shilling. Wow. And so for people who don't know, tell me a little bit about Lottie Dolls, because they're, well, they're gorgeous, uh, but they're a little non-traditional. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, before we started, we came across some research that 
discovered that some of the dolls that, that people were playing with were uh, kids were developing body image issues. So we uh, came across an article by a child psychologist. We contacted her and we developed Lottie on the average proportions of a nine-year-old child. And immediately we were able to get around all of those adult agendas. And I guess there aren't really any other dolls on the market that are based on a child. So Lottie, with Lottie, we let kids enjoy the present. She's based on a nine-year-old. She wears the clothes of what a nine-year-old does. Uh, she does all the activities of what a child does. So we, we look at education levels at that, at that age group. We also look at the activities that they do and the clothes that they wear. So kids find our dolls relatable. Um, I guess our, our dolls sort of cross over a little bit as well between gift and toy. Uh, the packaging is very giftable. Very. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's gorgeous. It's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, so yeah, it's all about childhood. It's not about what you want to be when you grow up. It's about enjoying the present right now. We do look to empower our, our uh, kids with, with the dolls that we play with. But we also we put in little bits of educational elements. We, we do a little bit on STEM. Um, I mentioned at the very beginning our, our doll is based on the average proportions of a nine-year-old child. She's sculpted uh, that way, and her head's a little bit larger to allow for hair play. Uh-huh. So, yeah, body image is a big area for us at the beginning, but then it, we moved into STEM and uh, empowerment and, and play, obviously. Yeah. Right, and it, it has been the play. I mean, you, you really do celebrate diversity, but you don't use diversity as a, as a marketing tool. It's just part of what's baked into this brand. Yeah, the first time that that really uh, came across to me, there's an organization called Toy Like Me based in the U.K., and uh, the lady that runs it, called Rebecca, she contacted me. We developed a doll uh, with a cochlear implant. We don't actually put it on the box that it's got a cochlear implant on the doll. We like kids to buy it and discover it afterwards. And uh, we've, we've also discovered that our dolls are being used by child psychologists uh, to prove that Playing with dolls with different ethnicities and different abilities can help develop empathy in kids so that they recognize, you know, differences in other kids and hopefully reduce, you know, bullying levels and things like that. At the heart of it, though, uh, it's still all about the play. I mean, yeah. I think that it's experiential. One of the things I always talk about is how the toy business reflects the world that yeah. kids see around them. So it doesn't, it doesn't really guide the world, but as you say, if it reflects the world and they see kids with different abilities and different ethnicities around them that just becomes like the air to them it becomes very natural it, we don't go too technologically with, with Lottie it's all about imaginative play um, we want kids to create their own worlds uh, we, we don't really we have, a, we have a couple of larger play sets made out of wood but uh, something that we really love seeing is kids creating their own play worlds using you know the cardboard boxes that they come in or or leftover um, materials that they find at home. It's all creative as well. It's letting the kid create those worlds themselves. It's not prescriptive. One of the things that we want to get away from is prescriptive play. We want kids to you know, use their imagination themselves. And I, when I ran into you on the first day of the show, you had, you had some objectives. You wanted to get some distributors here. And, yeah. And <laughs> how did you do? Yeah, well, it's one of those things. You, you, you write it up on the wall, which we have done. <laughs> There's like six or seven territories here that we wanted to get. And I think in the first day, we got about half of them. So, yeah, if you're doing a trade show, put up exactly what you <laughs> want to get from that show. And, yeah. 
it'll happen. So you're in the doll business, and I'm not sure if there is a more competitive sector of the of the business than than dolls and classic dolls. How do you stay different? How do you how do you market yourself? How do you uh, keep finding your audience? I guess at the very beginning, uh, you know, we we based our 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 biggest differentiator is that we're based on a kid as opposed to an adult, and I don't think anybody, you know, there's quite a few pivots that have happened in our in our industry in the last three or four years that have touched some of the subjects that we cover, but I think uh, you know that's our biggest differentiating factor right now is that we're based on a on a child as opposed to an adult or a teenager. As I look at it, the play is very much peer to peer. Yeah. So if I'm a child, Lottie is like me. Yeah. She's not what I aspire to be. Yeah. She's very much like me and what I'm going through or what I, as a child, uh, and I love that. I love that yeah. that reflects that. Being self-funded, this business, <laughs> I, like I, I was living in London when I started this. I sold my home and I put every penny of it into this business. But So I guess we've been careful in growing it. We haven't gone out TV advertising or anything like that. We've built it up a lot through independent retailers. Uh-huh. I love independent retailers, but um, and also direct to consumer as well. So we do have, we have our own web web store uh, to differentiate ourselves. We focus an awful lot on social media. Um, there are stories behind a lot of our dolls. Uh, actually, uh, there, in our second year, we came across I came across this video on YouTube about a little girl in uh, South Dakota who was making a little robot. Uh, from, use, from cardboard boxes. She entered into the local Maker Faire, came first place. I contacted her mom. We made a doll together called Robot Girl. And <laughs> I love she, that. Yeah, so she... That was in 2014, right? In 2018, she, wa- she was in the finals of the Young Scientist of the Year uh, with 3M, and she won another Global Invented Challenge, and she's now a presenter on Mythbusters Junior. Oh, isn't that great? Yeah. She was actually named by Teen Vogue as 21 of the most influential kids under 21 uh, in 2018. And we had three kids that we worked with on that list that year. So how does that feel to be yeah, able to do pretty, that? That's it's pretty, amazing. It's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. But the, the kids themselves are amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's something, uh, Richard Gottlieb, who's, who's abandoned me here, he's flown yeah. back to New York, uh, he had other business. But But one of the things we talk about a lot is how very often people become what they play. I mean, that yeah. they, they, you know, those impulses or interests or talents are pretty much obvious from early on, and then they find ways to express them through play and very often turns into a career. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, so a second one that we did was with a, a girl called Taylor Richardson, and she was one of the youngest kids ever to go to space camp. And when she was there, she noticed that she was the only black kid in the whole year. I think there was like over 100 students, and she was the only black kid. And she actually fundraised herself to go to it. Wow. Yeah, and she, she was also one of the kids that we developed one of our dolls with. But her career in, sci- in science and space is, uh, yeah, it's, she's really progressing she is. Uh, she was also voted by Teen Vogue as 21 of the most influential kids under 21. That's great. Well, not mm. only are you making a great toy, you're having a wonderful impact on, on girls and continued success. Ian Harkin, founder of Lottie Dolls, thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you very much, Chris. I'm with Josh Larzell in the uh, Hog Wild booth here at Nuremberg. Now, Josh, you go to every single freaking toy fair. What is it about Nuremberg that, that is such so valuable to you guys? Chris, nice to have you here in the booth. Thank um, you. 
The reason we like the Nuremberg Toy Show is because you have an opportunity to, one, meet with uh, distri- European distribution partners that don't typically attend New York Toy Fair. Um, some of those partners we'll get to see in Hong Kong, but they're, you know, some of the partners don't go to Hong Kong, especially this year in particular was because of all the, um, uh, the kind of protests and different kind of political situation that's going on in Hong Kong right now. A lot of the uh, distributors canceled attending the Hong Kong Toy Fair. So even, even more than normal, where you'll still get kind of a hit and miss in Hong Kong, this year especially was important to be in Nuremberg because, because, a, lot of, because a lot of those uh, uh, customers didn't end up coming to Hong Kong. The Nuremberg Show is important for seeing them, number one. Number two, for finding partners in new markets that we don't have uh, distribution yet. For example, we met some, uh, some p- potential partners from Turkey, India, um, some Eastern European countries. Again, uh, potential partners for distribution of our products in those markets that you won't find at New York Toy Fair or Hong Kong being an appointment show. You don't have much opportunity to have a stand, they're all private showrooms. So unless you already know the client, it's hard to find, connect. And so this show is a great venue to connect with new uh, potential uh, partners in different markets. And what is it about your products that have have appealed internationally? I mean, obviously you've got the poppers, which are ridiculous, and and we love them and all that stuff. But you've got a couple of new things. You've got a thing I'm looking at right now called Stunt Disc, uh, which is kind of an updated flying disc. Don't say frisbee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's an updated flying disc that's sort of stunt-related. Uh, what, what's been resonating with the with the non-U.S. people? Right. Um, typically, when you're when you're talking about international distribution, it can be a little tricky because, uh, unlike uh, which, uh, unlike direct to retail, which is called DTR, where you're actually finding major retailers within the countries that you can sell to FOB direct to from China. Um, when you have a distributor in the middle. They have to make their markup, and then at that point, they sell to the retailer. So basically, it, it increases the price. So the key for um, international, when you're working with a distributor, I mean, and it goes up even more if they have to do marketing in, the mar- in their market. So um, the key is to have some, I think, lower price point items work really well. It's tougher for higher price point. So we've been able to, you know, Stickball is a great example. It's a lower price item. It's, it's $5 U.S. In, um, retail. So that... That's something that maybe will come out at seven or eight euros, but there's still room for the distributor to make their margin. Whereas some of the more higher priced items, like a twenty or thirty dollar retail in the U.S., can be more challenging, just because once the distributor adds their margin and they're selling to the local markets, it just kind of makes it it goes higher. But that said, that's why another great reason to be in Nuremberg is because we can meet those larger uh, European retailers here. So for some markets like the U.K., you can explore which we have a distribution partner currently, but a lot of companies like to um, partner with those retailers and just sell direct from China and, and just bring the products in the market with the retailer, and that way they can get that retail price down because you don't have the middle uh, distributor in the middle. So you know, everyone has different strategies. Some markets where there's a foreign language that you don't understand, it's better to have a distributor. Yeah, I think. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I don't know. How, what do we write in our packaging uh, <laughs> in Romanian? I don't think it translated very well. Somehow, everyone, no one likes our product. So, <laughs> so, you know, it really depends. English-speaking markets, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, some companies will go there direct to retail more. But um, we typically work with uh, distribution partners. So, again, great place to meet them and find them here. But... Lower price items, for sure, being the, the items that will generally work better for international because there's room to uh, build those margins in. Now, I've had an inside look at some of the stuff you've got coming <clears throat> for 2020. Not all of it's here. Uh, tell me a little bit about 
and I know because it's higher price or you're not ready to show it here in Nuremberg, you'll be showing it at New York Toy Fair, but you've recently joined Hogwild. Tell me a little bit about your direction and what, what your strategy is for 2020. Um, for for Hogwild, um, one of the, the strategies that we're building for 2021 is to keep building our portfolio of outdoor products um, with uh, some recent other toy companies exiting the outdoor space. Um, we feel like there's an opportunity there, which not only us, I think there's a lot of the bigger companies are looking at as an opportunity as well. Um, but, you know, outdoor is exciting because it's all, it's very innovation driven more. I'd say more so than collectibles or other categories where, yeah, there's there's definitely innovation, but a flying toy has to perform, period. Like if you, right. you know, like it's not like something that can be like a lot of advertising to make something that's a piece of plastic have a story or look cool. I mean, those are awesome. But for outdoor toys, it has to actually you throw something and you get a result or it helps you do this. You hit a ball and it does this cool different um, performance metric to it. So it's, there's, a, there's a it's a tougher road to design those but once you hit it then it's really exciting and you got a lot of times an evergreen that can last for a really long time you know I, i'm laughing because I, I you know a lot of the times i see these things they go it's inexpensive but it doesn't work yes <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of that in the outdoor there's category a there's a lot of that because it's hard it's all engineering it's you know you know a lot of the guys who bring us um uh inventor submissions are in, uh, aerospace engineers for NASA. I mean, these guys are oh, like, wow. in, no, some of the guys we get in the office are just, you know, crazy brainiacs. But that's what you have to be to think through the dynamics of making an actual product. Not only the, and then and the second thing is the prototype will typically work perfect. But then right. the next challenge is how do you mass produce something that a one-off you can tweak. You can shave some wood off here and there and make something work good. But you have to still make a tool of mold out of that and go to China and make it where you can mass produce it and sell it to people. So the category... We think there's an opportunity there, and we enjoy the challenge um, of making those kind of products. But it really requires an investment. I mean, you have to you have to be willing to have people in China who are working with the tooling people, who are really spending the time and the money in order to do that. I mean, they, you know, old school people way back at CBS Toys uh, many years ago when I was there, we had one vice president who said. Well, it doesn't matter if it doesn't work right. It's just a toy. <laughs> Kids don't care. And we would sit in meetings and go, they it's do. It's five bucks. Who <laughs> they, cares? They're not going to care. It's five dollars. They do care. <laughs> so, um, but you're also going into games. Yes. So um, games is a new category of emphasis for us as well. Um, mainly because, honestly, that we, besides, uh, we had a lot of passion for games as a category. We love to play games. Um, it was not something traditionally Hogwild had done in the past, but when I came in and we kind of started going through what, what you would call like the old portfolio of ideas and kind of items that the Hogwild creative team had taken maybe halfway through and never finished, and there were some really amazing game concepts in there, um, which we'll have in New York. And so we kind of decided that was an area of, of, for us to kind of um, go to another aisle of the store where typically Hogwild's mostly lived in like the novelty right. kind of gift area. This will get us... Outdoors, another uh, aisle of the store, and then games, another aisle of the store. So hopefully we can grow our business by trying to diversify our product offerings a little bit. That's great. And it's challenging. I mean, oh, yeah. it's, it's challenging, oh. games especially. And, and then you've really got some elements of old school toy company, which is just sort of opportunistic, reactive to things in the market. I mean, people have been watching the Screaming Goat videos, and you're, you're doing a Screaming Goat. Yes. Because and a Screaming not? Unicorn and a Screaming Donkey. You know, correct. this is my favorite sentence in the toy industry. Stranger things have worked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a harebrained idea. The CEO, Jeff Mumford, Jeffrey Mumford, actually came up with the idea. And he had this really, we had this, uh, pair, this trend on YouTube of all these Screaming Donkeys and Screaming Goats. 
And when you watch it, it's literally so... You fall on the floor laughing because there's a goat, and when it screams, it's like a, it sounds like a woman's high-pitched scream. Actually, I always like to say it sounds like uh, the guy from Home Alone who gets the tarantula put on his face, Mer- Merle or Marv, Marv. When Marv gets the, and Home Alone 1 gets the tarantula put on his face, that gut-wrenching scream he puts out, <laughs> it's like so hilarious to see an animal, and they really do it. So Jeff was like, let's jump on it now. Let's make an animal. Let's make a little character, a TPR uh, character. When you squeeze it, you get the sound. And, and for, for people who don't know the, the acronyms, what's TPR? TPR is just a type of plastic that it's a form of plasticized rubber that um, can, you can change the, um, how, how the more or less sticky it is. Oh, okay. So there's a formula. If you want, this, and the one that people are probably most familiar with is the old sticky hand. Sure, sure, That you sure. would throw out and stick to stuff. So you can make TPR. We have actually have some TPRs that have hardly any stickiness at all to it, all the way to being super, super sticky. And you drop it on the floor once, and you get every particle right, of dust. Right. Uh, ever. <laughs> <laughs> so the only thing I'm really sad about with the screaming goat is I'm too old to have it in school because it's the kind of thing that landed me in detention a lot when, when I was a kid. <laughs> Come on, you were probably setting the goat on fire, Chris. <laughs> I, I probably would have been. <laughs> Josh Lorzell of Hogwild. We'll see you in New York. That's pretty much it for the Playground podcast here in Nuremberg. I'm going to spend the afternoon going to the Spielzeug Museum. Uh, I can't wait to check out all the toys, the history of toys, and certainly... Nuremberg as Toy City is such an important place. We've had a blast being here at the Spielvar and Mesa. We'll be back in New York next week, and we've got an exciting lineup of interviews coming, so, so you'll want to stay tuned to the playground throughout the year. Look forward to seeing you soon. <laughs> <laughs>